Greetings, programs, and welcome to another episode of Fan Halls Big in Japan. I'm Justin, and I'll be your host this evening. And joining me tonight is one of my fellow Fan Halls and fellow Immortal. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I am Immortal. I have no equal. <laughs> Until the next guy in the sequel right. in a cave that of we course. forgot about. Of course. <laughs> If you can't tell from that description, we are delving into the Highlander franchise a bit. We will be discussing the anime film Highlander, The Search for Vengeance. This film premiered June 5th, 2007, and it has a runtime of 85 minutes, though there is a director's cut that is 95 minutes long. Uh, this film was directed by... Yoshiaki Kawajiri, who also directed Ninja Scroll and Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. It was written by David Abramwitz, who also wrote for the Highlander series, Highlander the Raven, and Highlander the Source. And I'll just go ahead and read a little short but concise synopsis that I stole this time. I took a page from Derek's book. The lone warrior Colin travels with the wise-cracking ghost Amergan through the ages, searching for the immortal despot Marcus Octavius, who killed his lover on the Celtic plains tens of centuries ago. On his quest, he discovers New York is submerged and one dominant monolith fortress towers over the seas. Colin can save the survivors, but his sword only hungers for the blood of one man. Despite many lifetimes of training, Colin has failed many times to vanquish Marcus on the great battlefields of history. Can he finish what he started and stop Marcus? Will Colin lead the people to freedom or become consumed by hate? And that is a short and sweet of Highlander, The Search for Vengeance. Uh, before we get into this, I just wanted to ask Derek, uh, are you a fan of the Highlander franchise? I think I am. I mean, I, I, I remember seeing the first film on VHS, like, because obviously it had that sort of cult status. I, I think I remember my dad renting it or something and it was like, Hey, come here, let's watch this, you know? And I, I, I remember, you know, distinct images of Christopher Lambert, you know, running around in his trench coat in the middle of the parking lot and all this kind of stuff. So I, I remember sort of being fascinated by that and, you know, maybe not quite grasping all the, the flashback sequences when I was really young. And then, you know, as far as the, 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 the rest of the franchise goes, like I, I have weird memories of that. Remember that movie theater I told you about in the Fremont hub where it got turned into like a pet store. Like I oh, remember, yeah. I remember the quickening played there for sure. I have distinct memories of the quickening being there during the summer and stuff like that. And then, you know, the, the various other flicks, I think most of them, like, I know I saw Endgame in the theater with a bunch of friends, and that was when I was in college. I'm not sure if I saw the Mario Van Peebles one in the theater or not, but I know I did eventually see it. And then, of course, you know, the source was sort of sci-fi, direct-to-video, you know, type fodder. And then, you know, this came out, I think, right in the tail end of my 
sort of tenure in Los Angeles. And I remember that I was able to procure this DVD from a place called Sound Station. And that was a place where you would get these really, well, I guess by a certain point, they were all kind of, you know, secondhand used DVDs. Like I think, you know, most times you go to a, you know, a retail place and the DVD would be, you know, 20 bucks or 30 bucks or something like that. And you usually go to the sound station place and they'd be, you know, $12, you know, 10.99 or something like that. So we all, you know, went to this place religiously to check out stuff. But I think the great thing about it was, and we never asked any questions and I don't know exactly what was going on, but clearly in the beginning of this store's I guess, venture into selling films and DVDs and stuff. Like, clearly something was going on where, you know, something fell off the, the delivery trucks or something like that. Because in the old days, what you used to do is you'd go to this place, Sound Station, you'd hand them the used DVD, and they'd pull a brand new one out from behind the counter and sell it to you at below cost. So we were all like, this is the greatest fucking store ever. <laughs> like you'd, you'd go there and get like, you know, $30 Cowboy Bebop DVDs and they'd be like, you know, I don't know, 12 bucks or 12.99 or something like that. And of course this, this was always a place for me to, to get anime on the cheap. And I remember that Highlander, the search for vengeance was one of those DVDs and it was, it was, I think 10.99 and I still, you know, I still have that DVD. And the reason why I know it was 10.99 is I still have the little, you know, price stamp in the right hand corner on the, 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 uh, you know, clamshell or, or snapper case or whatever you want to call it and everything. And I mean, I, I guess if I had to like, you know, preface this with rankings like obviously the first highlander is the the classic the you know the pinnacle of the franchise but i mean a lot of the sequels are not exactly anything to sort of write home about in a certain sense you know i i, I remember having fun watching endgame you know in a sort of star trek generations type way where it was trying to bridge the the film universe and the the tv series universe together and everything like that and and you know in some twisted way i think i i got a kick out of watching the source i i can't say that you know the quickening and and the uh i can't even think of the title but you know the Mar Van Peebles one. I think those were where I came up with, you know, the, the jokes that most people would come up with, you know, the Spoonies of the world where you're just kind of, you know, mocking the entire franchise. And I, I always kind of wondered, like, it's like, if every movie ends with there can only be one, I'm like, where the fuck did all these other assholes pop up from in between the first movie and all the sequels and everything like that? And that would always, of course, you know, drive me mad. Um, so, so I, I always kind of had a problem with the sequelization of the original premise, but I, I always thought the original movie was very cool. And I think, I mean, you know, not to bury the lead, but I, I was the one who sort of suggested this and, and coming at it from that vantage point, I've always thought this was probably my favorite Highlander either sequel or sort of spin-off like however you want to refer to it as because i i think i i genuinely enjoyed the hell out of this movie like and and i i didn't have any of those same highlander qualms that i had because they kind of sold it to you as kind of like this alternate future that seemed to have some of the same tropes of the original highlander film and and i kind of accepted that at face value and just went along for the ride and and it was a you know a hell of a fun ride i mean you know you, you mentioned you know vampire hunter d bloodlust and everything and then of course you've got like you know ninja scroll which was what you know everybody in college campuses across you know the u.s was watching as far as trying to get people into anime and everything like that. So, you know, th this is from the same director, at least. But I think what was interesting about it was the script was written by, you know, a, a Hollywood, you know, American studio. So it's it's kind of an interesting collaboration, you know. And, and it obviously wasn't the smoothest because you've got this, you know, director's cut version and then the U.S. version, which don't seem to be vastly different in terms of running times, but you, you can tell in some of the supplementary materials that there, there was that kind of, uh, 
the creative differences behind it, you know, where, you know, you, you had the, you know, Japanese director, Kawajiri, you know, was, was basically, you know, kind of saying, I want my film to stand the way it is, you know, and, and of course you had the, 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 you know, producer guys who, who were all sort of running this franchise and they were sort of beholden to maintaining the, the illustrious nature of the franchise rather than being beholden to one director's vision of, of his film, you know? And it's like, it seems like, like really subtle differences. Like they had the, like the opening scroll where they kind of did the setup for the story and stuff like that. Like, I don't think that's actually in the director's cut. I think it just opens with him, you know, in the little boat swimming past the, the little wrecked sign and everything. And they don't give you any setup. You know, so so it's 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 kind of subtle stuff. And I, I, I think the the big major difference I was trying to look up because I, I man, I'm hard pressed to tell you, like I didn't I didn't do any heavy analysis. And this is honestly the first time I've ever seen the Japanese language version. Like I, I had only seen the the English dub and the, the way they've always sold it. I mean, if you go to like the Wikipedia page, you know, U.S. based producers kind of made it sound like. Oh yeah, there are like all these scenes and everything. Like here, here's the quote where they, they say like, as far as the story goes, the biggest issues came at the end. Kawajiri had a director's cut that is much longer than the original film we're putting out. It wasn't so obvious in certain issues. When you see the director's version compared to the U.S. version, we have opening monologue cards that come up to start the story, telling you what's going on, giving some background. There's some narration in the beginning. They don't have that in the Japanese version. There's about seven or eight additional scenes in the Japanese version that we cut out in the U.S. one, just for timing and just for pace of story. That was the big issue. I'm sure Mr. Kawajiri was really unhappy about the cut but this is what the other producers thought was best for everybody so like they they always made it sound like there were like tons and tons of scenes but then like when you read like further down in the interview they basically say in the japanese version the director's version there is a middle area where they are at stonehenge and Amergan is speaking to Colin about what he is. In the director's cut, it is longer and more descriptive. In the U.S. version, we cut that way down because we felt that enough had been established of Highlander. People knew it, and enough people know of it. We didn't think that anybody was going to get lost, even if Highlander was an unknown entity to them. So it sounds like there, there's not a whole hell of a lot that was... I mean, even though they were talking about like eight or nine scenes, I don't, I don't think it was quite as extravagant as they made it out to be. But you know, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. was, was this the first time you had ever seen this? Like, was this my suggestion to you to to watch it? Like, had you ever heard of this or had any first impressions of it, or is this really the first time you're seeing this at all? Oh no! Like I've kind of like you. I've owned this DVD since it first came out. Like I've I've been a big fan of the franchise for long long time okay. like okay my cousin was a huge fan of highlander when we were growing up and I, I think it was i think he's the one who first showed me the the very first film and i was like man that was really that was something like I, at that point i never seen anything like that to be honest and i was like man that's really cool and then he was like well if you like that you're gonna like the series like he, he was huge fan of the series and he even i don't know if you remember this but they would like advertise this you know official highlander calendar or not oh yeah 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 the, the the official highlander catalog and he like he had that and he he had like all kinds of like the blooper vhs tape and mm. he had one of those like reproduction katana swords that duncan used and okay. he had that like that was a really cool thing but i think he had like lofty aspirations of like you know like some teenagers do of like learning the guitar so he traded his sword for a guitar and then quickly abandoned the guitar and i was like dude you're dumb but uh yeah <laughs> I, I was i've always been a big fan of the um the franchise and i remember reading somewhere they were going to make it a highlander animated film and i was like man animated like they tried highlander animated and we get that mm. really lame series and then i learned no no it's not going to be animated it's going to be anime and like i had all these like great visions in my head i was like dude they could go anytime any place you know they're not you know, restricted by budget the way the, the live-action TV series is. Like, that'd be great. 
So like I had high, you know, high hopes for this movie, and I sat down and watched it. And you know, kind of like you, I think the first film is my favorite, and then next I would place this. Like I, I kind of like you, yeah. I really enjoy this. And one of the things I noticed, like I hadn't watched this film in maybe seven or eight years, but as I was watching it, and I don't know how you felt when you watched it, but I was like, man, this this kind of feels like it's very inspired from like Fist of the North Star, like at least like yeah, the first yeah. Shin arc where you've got like this mm-hmm. one guy ruling the city. He's like in his high tower, and then you have like this, you know, you have one guy all alone who, who you know, the only guy who can take him on. Like I was kind of like, oh, this. I wonder if that was like, uh, you know, from like a the conscious. Japanese. Yeah, like, like was it was it conscious or was it just like a Japanese influence? They're like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to do my own little fist of the North Star kind of thing. Yeah, because because Marcus, like you say, is very much like Shin. I mean, and and it even goes to the the point of of how you know they they set up the backstory. I mean, it's not like they were friends ever. Like like. Kenshiro, you know, and and Shin or whatever, but there there is that long history between the two of them because they're immortal and they they keep battling each other, you know, throughout history. And then throw in the aspect that his wife, you know, basically goes and and pretty much solicits herself to Marcus, you know, in order to sort of stop him from, you know, basically storming their society you know like he he's basically coming in with the romans to conquer them and she's trying to prevent that and at some point she just kind of you know drops her trowel and is like oh i'm here to offer myself you know and everything and it just kind of goes all to hell after that i mean it doesn't it doesn't really turn out good for either of them you know but there's there's certainly like i mean i think you hit the nail on the head i mean there's there's definitely a whether it's conscious or unconscious, like, who knows? I suppose that, you know, you know, maybe Kawajiri's not going to admit it, or I, I don't know if it's ever come up in interviews or whatever, or maybe he'd say, yes, you know, it, it did, it did play a part in, you know, how he told the story or whatever, but there's, there's a definite Fist of the North Star influence on this. You know what I was going to ask you was, I, I noticed in some early reviews for people who were, non-anime fans but were devoted fans of the highlander franchise like you had that crossover where highlander meant so much to those fans like they were willing to uh, expose themselves you know experience anime maybe where you know if this was anything else they may not have gone down that road but because the the appeal you know was so great you know to the franchise itself you know that crossover happened where you had a a subsect of of an audience that would normally never watch anime but because it was part of the Highlander franchise they did watch it and and one of the things i noticed was in in some reviews like they'd say like something to the effect of you know i wasn't so sure about this because i i guess you know you have you've got that opening sequence where you've got Colin McLeod and he he kind of you know puts himself in front of all these kind of post-apocalyptic you know very much Fist of the North Star inspired kind of baddies these kind of gang rough house types and some of them do not exactly look human you know like like they they kind of look a little monstrous you know kind of very much like you know characters in fist of the north star kind of look disproportionate you know maybe not you know human basically but even in the case of that opening sequence you know some of them they might have been dressed up they might have been wearing makeup but some of them have like horns and different you know skin tones that are clearly inhuman and stuff like that so you're like you know and and I thought it was an interesting reaction because I I think that guy's gut reaction is what Highlanders fighting monsters now I'm turning this shit off you know and and like he stuck with it a little longer and then and then basically he enjoyed it like you and I did but it, I I thought it was interesting that that was his like part of his fear or gut reaction was that opening sequence where you know and 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 I'm I'm kind of playing around with it cuz on my avatar you've got that guy Malik who's who's the main guy he kills in order to I guess get in front of Marcus again in the the current day this far flung sort of 
dystopian future where everything's sort of water worldy, I guess, you know, in, in what is it, 2157 or something like that. And so like he, he, you know, beheads this guy, this, this other Highlander, I guess, that's got like a, a chainsaw or whatever. And they have this big epic fight and everything. And like, I was kind of reminded, like, I know you bring up Fist of the North Star. You know, what I was reminded of was, uh, you know, a row or whatever, you know, like, remember how I always used to make fun of, I, I saw that miniseries and, and the guy gets his like head chopped off and he's talking about so freezing, so cold, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not, <laughs> not even attached to his body. And, and the, a very similar instance happens with this Malik character. Cause I mean, he gets his head lopped off and he's sitting there still talking to him going, Dude, who are you, bro? You know, and it's just like, dude, you're fucking dead. Like, you fucking chopped your head off. Like, you're asking who he is. Like, fuck you. Like, you're fucking dead. You know, and, and like, there's, there's that funny aspect to it. You know, and of course he goes through the quickening, like, immediately after that. So it's not quite as ridiculous as I make it sound, but there's that split second where you're like, how's this guy talking to the guy? His fucking head's lopped off. Come on. You know, and, and I could, I can see how, how, you know, uh, when you have that crossover audience, like you, you may get those people who are skeptical. And if they, if they stick to their skepticism, they, they may not get past like the first 10, 15 minutes of this. But I think if you, if you get past that and, and kind of go along with the story, then you're opened up to a lot of new possibilities, like you're saying, where, you know, this is set in, in a, a future and because it's, animation rather than live action you know it, it kind of opens it up to like it, you know you're dealing with time travel essentially through different periods of history where you've got multiple period pieces and a post-apocalyptic setting like it's, it's very cool like yeah. i mean part of me was thinking like you know, like, like you've got all these different historical settings, like, especially like the, the sort of World War II era setting. It, it almost made me have visions of like, it, it was like watching like Captain Harlock fight with enemy ace, you know, like, mm. like it was like this, this weird yeah. kind of thing where, you know, and I know they try to play it like, oh, the, you know, the one guy, you know, Marcus is trying to be like, I'm the civilized man and I'm going to reshape the world in my image. He's very much like a, an Alexander the Great type, you know, like that, that's kind of the vibe you get from him, you know, where he's going to unite the world and, and conquer it and, and, and kind of shape it in his image. And he considers, Colin to be this barbarian and and what's interesting is even though the the director kind of is like oh this film's not about vengeance even though the fucking title is the search for vengeance and you know I, I guess that's part of his lesson in life but but it's like he does spend you know millennia like solely in the pursuit of vengeance against the man who killed his wife you know and that's what he's all about it's not so much that you know it, it's interesting because you know they have those conversations where marcus is kind of like yeah i you know i learned how to play a new musical instrument i you know learned some new languages i you know i had a couple different career tracks i did all this other stuff it's like what have you done you just been out to fucking kill me like, you know, it's like, go get a girlfriend, like, get laid, like, go, <laughs> go do some shit, man. Like, like, we're immortal, man. All these people are gonna, you know, are gonna die anyway. Like, you gotta, you gotta do something with yourself, you know? Like, and it, it's like, it's one of those things where, like, you, you might rationalize, like, oh, why doesn't this guy just, you know, if this guy's such a barbarian, why doesn't he just lop his head off and be done with him? And it's like, maybe he's actually, you know, having fun, you know, having a, a consistent presence in his life, you know, that he's not willing to get rid of, you know, and, and, and that maybe there's something to that, you know, like, you know, the psychology of that and, 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 you know, just him almost in some weird way, like, even though he's like, you know, quote unquote, killing him every time, you know, kicking his ass, essentially, you know, every time they meet, you know, th there is some aspect of, of tutelage, I guess, in a weird kind of twisted way too, you know? So like there's, there's those aspects as well. And, you know, and, and it doesn't hurt. This is, you know, like we said, this is the same director as Ninja Scroll. Like there's lots of kind of gory, you know, Kill Bill-esque, you know, blood splatter violence going on. There's lots of action and, and kind of this extreme sense with the sword play and the, 
the kind of, you know, you've got the kind of, you know, almost near inhuman ridiculousness of, you know, a guy on foot being able to outrace someone in a helicopter, you know, like things like that. But it's like, it's exciting to see, you know, swords, you know, reflect bullet tips that blow shit up. And, you know, it's it's all this kind of crazy type action. And I I just, you know, like I, I, again, like you're saying, I don't know that you could have pulled that off in a live action Highlander movie, but yet you, you get the vibe that there's a very sort of mystical and romantic aspect to the immortals. And, and, you know, I don't know. I, I, I I thought it was fun to watch. I mean, I'd be hard pressed to rank them after this, but like you're saying, I mean, the, the first Highlander and then the search for vengeance, I'd put it number two. You know, and then, and then after that, I mean, I don't know, like Endgame, the source, you know, maybe, and, you know, maybe put the quickening at the dead fucking last. I don't know, you know, or, or maybe that, that French animated piece of shit at the, the dead last with the Quentin McCloud or whatever, you know, like uh, maybe that's dead last, but that's, that's kind of how I'd probably do it. You know, you know it, it's, it's interesting you bring up that reviewer talking about, you know, he wasn't sure about the film because it was animated. When this came out, like my cousin and I, the one who got me into Highlander in, uh, in the first place, like we were working together. And I remember like that summer, like I had got him into watching Babylon 5 because I had bought the seasons and was rewatching them. And then he was like, you know, I was always curious. I want to watch that. And I was like, dude, check it out. Like you'll love it. And he was like eating that up. He's like, dude, I'm on that, you know, I'm on season three and like shit's getting real. I'm like, dude, you don't even know. But, um, I remember telling him, like, I was like, dude, like, I got this Highlander uh, anime film. He's like, anime? Like, that stuff for kids? I was like, dude, this is not at all for kids. And he, he kind of had that same skepticism. And I was like, dude, just, you know, dude, forget that it's anime or, you know, forget your perceptions about anime being Pokemon or whatever you're thinking of. Like, just, I'll, I'll let you borrow it. You can just sit down one night and watch it and then, you know, tell me what you think. And I remember, like, he watched it over the weekend, and, you know, Monday at work, he was like, dude, that was awesome. I was like, see, I told you. And I think he had some of those same rev- reservations as the reviewer, you know, like, oh, this is like, you know, an anime character fighting, like, a bunch of monsters, and maybe it's not going to be quite as Highlander-y as you think. But he, he loved it. Like, he really got into it, and that kind of opened the door for him because he started watching other stuff. Like, he did watch Ninja Scroll, and he really got into watching, like, the Appleseed franchise. Like, he really liked, like, that series. But, uh, but yeah, I, I thought I always thought that was really interesting that he kind of was like, oh, dude, anime stuff? No way. And then he, like, you know, he, he comes back over the weekend. He's like, dude, that was great. And he's like, you know talking about like he did mention like the guy talking you know when his head was cut off and all this other stuff and he's like man why can't they make more of these and like his idea which i thought was neat he's like why can't they like do another one of these and have it be like an untold tale from like you know connor mcleod and they can get christopher lambert like he's too old to do it in live action but he could like do the voice i was like yeah that w- that would be pretty cool yeah I, I i remember when i would foolishly have dreams of them animating the the young Jedi novels and mm. just getting Mark Hamill to yeah. like voice a, a you know Jedi Master Luke or something like that and you know like it, it's kind of you know the same idea right you get you know um Christopher Lambert to uh to voice you know you get him to voice Connor but yeah that that would be cool I mean, um the you know, one of the things you mentioned was like there was some stuff cut from that Amragon character, and like, mm. you know, like, um, I haven't seen the Japanese cut. Like, I, it's one of those things I heard about, and you know, now that you're telling me like it's not that different, I'm just like I'm a little disappointed because you know, like you said, like it was talked up a whole lot. But when yeah, I I mean I don't know, maybe you should watch it and smack me around. But I just I was like, wait, there's only ten minutes difference, and like even when I watched both of them back to back, I could barely, you know, I mean I wasn't doing a whole, you know, all right, here's Superman the movie, and here's the you know extended edition, and I'm gonna watch them like ten minutes at a time and pause and see what's different. I mean I I've done things like that before, and I I didn't do that for this. So I mean I'm sure if I did that I could figure it out. But I mean just with a casual view, I was like oh shit I don't know where the ten extra minutes <laughs> is. And and of course the the you know online is pointing to 
you know, that character, you know, in the Stonehenge scene. So I'm sure maybe if I queued up both those sequences, I'd be like, oh, shit, yeah, that's a hell of a lot longer. But I just didn't notice it, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, But when I was watching it uh, today, like I was thinking like there are certain parts of it that feel like there are pieces missing, like specifically that Amargon character. Like he it seemed to me like he was basically there to just tell you about how the Highlander universe works, like, oh, you're immortal, this is the quickening, blah, 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 don't lose your head in holy ground. And then after that, he was just like a wise-ass the rest of the movie. Like, he was like in a rabbit or a fly and kind of like making fun of him. I was like, well, maybe that's where some of that cut footage comes in. But I was like, not really sure. But, But I don't know, I like all the different, sequences like they're world war ii they're like in feudal japan or, or whatnot and i was like well maybe some of those cut scenes fit in in japan because like that japanese sequence it seems like it's important for both the characters because that's where marcus finds that woman who becomes like his kind of a consort my my the the, the sexy yeah. evil sentai yeah lady I, I was the, wondering the if film. you were going to yeah, mention her She's 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 super hot and then and then but she's also like super fucking deadly and dangerous and shit, you know, like she's always, you know, any anytime somebody needs basically the uh to be snuffed, you know, that's that's her function for Marcus at this point. But it's like it, it's almost like there's this weird perverse thing where she's she's working out but killing these guys in her workout and the more kind of worked up she gets in the killing and the fight it's like the more hot she gets for marcus almost like there's this weird kind of twisted sense of their relationship and i guess because 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 of that aspect we talked about before where it's like they're they're both highlanders they're both immortal right like so they, they have a different concept it's it's almost like that you know the 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 scene everybody points to you know the big turning scene in the the guardians of the galaxy sequel the way kurt russell plays ego you know like that just you know that it's like his concept of time and 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 people like he he just it's so insignificant because it's so big, you know, it's like, it's kind of like the way you'd view, I mean, obviously like people care about their pets, but it's not the same thing when a pet dies as when, you know, your, your family dies or your friends die or something like that, like a fellow human being, you know? And it's like, it's like, it, it must be the same thing in terms of being immortal sometimes where you're like, Oh, well, a fellow immortal got killed, that'd be quite different than if just a regular old, you know, human that's going to die in about 60 to 70 years, you know, shuffles off. It's like, well, I've seen that like, you know, thousands of times in my immortal lifetime. And, you know, it, it doesn't really, you know, seem to have any major impact on them. But yeah, she's, you she, know, she's, she's definitely a, a little minx, you know? She kind of reminded me of like, Famke Jensen's character from Goldeneye, the way she's kind of like, mm. you know, gets worked up, you know, whether whenever she's killing someone, like that's kind of like how I equate her in my head. Um, but the other thing from that Japanese sequence is like we see all these different uh, flashbacks where Colin and Marcus are fighting, and Colin's sword always gets shattered by Marcus. Like he just so overpowers him, like his sword breaks. But then when they're fighting in this like this burning house in Japan, just out of desperation, he picks up a katana and uses it. And that's the sword he uses throughout the rest of the film. And it's like, you know, super awesome. It can cut through, you know, someone's head or robot troopers or like anything like it's that awesome. Right. And like that's I I thought maybe there would be more footage from that because it seems so so important to those characters. But then in my head, I was also like, well, you know, it's a Highlander trope like uh, every main Highlander character has to have a katana for some reason. So, you know, it's just kind of there for him. I just I would have liked if there was more to it than like, oh, he just like reached over and grabbed it. And he's like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to use it from now on. (laughs) But I mean, I, I guess that is that is, you know for both like you're saying both characters it's an important beat it's like you know i know it's a katana but i'm like they both find the woman they're gonna spend the rest of their immortal lives with you know per se (laughs) like one's a fucking badass sword that can cut through anything (laughs) and the other one's this weird chick who gets all hot and bothered when she starts uh murdering people or whatever but yeah there's 
that's that's um I, I guess you're not supposed to think about these things too yeah. much you know like you're just supposed to actually you know enjoy the the visualization and the piece and and you know they're they're both good antagonists you know and and uh you know i mean you know there's there's uh I, I guess, you know, in dealing with the flashback sequences, I mean, what, what triggers them is him meeting the, the modern day incarnation of his, his dead wife. And I, I guess that's part of the, the life lesson he's supposed to learn. Cause, you know, she ends up, you know, again, sort of to save him, you know, shooting down the helicopter that that chick Kalia's in or whatever. And then, you know, and then she comes back because she's an immortal, and and then they have this sort of face off and everything, and and of course she, you know, pierces her with these, you know, poison, you know, puncture acupuncture things or whatever that she's been using the entire movie to kill people. So it's like, oh shit, and well now she's dead again, and and she's like, yeah, well I may be dying, but I'm gonna take you with me, and she shoves that grenade in her mouth, and it's like, yeah, you 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 know, that's one way to to uh behead a highlander you know yeah. or behead an immortal you know like that was that was pretty inspired i thought and pretty cool um but i i think the the main takeaway that you're supposed to have you know with amogen who who you know to me like you know how he was transforming into all those different things you know in one of the sequences and i don't i don't know if i'm conflating you know the director's cut and the the u.s cut now because i watched them back to back but in one of the sequences he's actually a spider and all i could think of you know because now i have this frame of reference is uh takuya you know in um in um you know, Spider-Man, because he's got Garia, who, you know, of course dies, but then turns into the the little spider or whatever. And I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of similar for whatever weird reason. You've got this kind of grumpy old sage guy, you know, but they're both turned into a, a spider at some point or whatever. But, I mean, I guess the, the ultimate thing he's trying to impart to to Colin, you know, Colin McClodo, um, as they say in the, uh, if you watch the Japanese language, they, they, he's McClodo. Um, but the thing they try to impart to him is that there, there was some destiny that, that he's supposed to meet his wife again you know like that basically like even though he's immortal like and you think he's destined you know he's lost his wife and he's hunting for vengeance and all that other stuff it's like maybe he could have found her earlier had he not been on this kind of you know quest for vengeance or whatever and 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 maybe there's the possibility that she will be reincarnated yet again and if his heart is not closed and focused on vengeance and open to the possibility that he can find her reincarnated soul i mean i i guess that's that you know basically i if there is a character arc for for colin mcleod to have like that's that's what it is right. you know that that he goes from from being hell-bent on vengeance to you know uh, being accepted by a group of people and and saving them and and in turn you know possibly you know opening his his heart up to the the possibility to to love again and and that kind of thing right you know you're talking earlier about well why hasn't he killed this guy like why hasn't he took his head and you you were kind of like saying well maybe he kind of likes the ri rivalry and stuff but i think you kind of summed it up for me it's like well at, towards the end like he finally has something worth fighting for again or worth protecting and you know whereas amargon the whole time has been like oh dude you're stupid and you know, like you, you could have had this the whole time, and he didn't realize it for whatever reason, or or maybe he was just too blind to realize that he could have found her at another time. But now, you know, now he is going to finally put an end to the whole ordeal and maybe go somewhere and wait for her to be reincarnated again. Like that's kind of how I took it. But uh, I did want to ask you, like, what you thought about the characters of Colin and Marcus, because the there are times in the movie where I feel like Marcus his character is better defined than Colin. I don't know if you felt that way. I I see what you're saying because because Colin is 
is very focused. Like he he has the sole objective throughout the whole thing, and and there is the aspect of Marcus is kind of multifaceted. I mean, he kind of starts out as like you know one of these Roman legion guys who you'd see in uh, the Spartacus TV show. You know, he's this ambitious kind of you know politician almost. You know, a schemer, but he's also in such a position of, of power and, and prestige that it, you know, it, it's even, even when he gives him the opportunity, like they have that horse off showdown where Colin's in his underwear or whatever, and they stick the two swords in the middle of the grass. And it's like, all right, let him go. Like we'll, we'll, we'll face off and everything. Like basically his first death, you know, Colin McLeod's first death, you know, before he realizes he's an immortal, you know, he's like basically there to extract vengeance right then and there. And like, it's this interesting beat where Colin basically is off like a bat out of hell once his bonds are cut loose, like him and the horse are like, bam, and they're like in full, you know, speedy Gonzalez mode or whatever, right? And Marcus is kind of like, you know, tra la 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 <laughs> yeah. like like but it's like it's not like he's not a it's not like he's not confident or he he doesn't know what he's doing like he's very deliberate but it's it's just interesting how he's just so at ease, you know, and and he almost anticipates his own success. And and I think that's what makes that last sequence, like, where ba- basically, you know, this is, you know, the, the end of the film, it's like, th- th- that's a textbook round of two power yeah, moment, definitely. because, you know, it's like, it's like, Marcus, like, owns him, like he always does, even at the very end, he's like, you know what, I've stabbed you, like, I'm gonna set off this fucking virus, like, you're fucked. Like you're, you're totally fucked. And it's like, you know, and it's like, but that's when Colin gets his whole second wind thing. And it's like, it's, it's basically that whole, like, you know, you, you thought you had me nailed to the wall dead rights, but no, I'm going to turn my back to you. I'm going to do this Zen, like, you know, blind man, you know, uh, blind fury thing almost, you know, in the middle of this Highlander anime. And at that point, the tables are turned. And instead of, you know, Marcus's sword, you know, slicing through his like butter all the time at this point, it's like it, he just takes his head off along with his sword. And it's like you can see the look on his face where he's like, I was totally not expecting that. You know, like I was totally expecting to be immortal forever you know, and, and it just totally like ruined his fucking day, you know, and I, but I, I see what you're saying because there is a, a much more, I guess, developed kind of character in Marcus, but you, um, I, I, I don't know, like you, 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 I, I think you can appreciate the simplicity of somebody like Colin, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I don't really fault him. I mean, it seems like maybe, maybe, Kawajiri does in a way like like that you know he he kind of thinks like oh he should have been off finding his reincarnated wife this whole time like maybe that's a I mean I don't I don't know what his his religious beliefs are but maybe that's kind of like the you know a, a very kind of Buddhist kind of thing you know where you're like oh you know instead of focusing on hate you know like focus on the reincarnation and the love or something like that but I I don't I you know but I guess for 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 it, it it's it's interesting because there is that sort of eastern western sort of philosophy clash you know where you're like oh well you know you could be zen about it right but i i don't think that's what colin's about and i i think in some sense maybe they're not so dissimilar it's just the way you get on the right train track you know like like for for somebody like Colin, it's like, well, let me, let me get my vengeance, and then I'll jump on the Zen Buddhist train track, because then now it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, like, or, 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 like what you're saying, like, like, let me actually end this kind of immortal stalemate because I actually have something to fight for in this reincarnated, like weird switchblade wielding hooker version of my former dead wife or whatever, you know, like that, that kind of thing. But yeah, I, you know, I don't know what, what I mean, d- were you not as into 
Colin as Marcus or, or, or like, is, is it something where you'd be interested in seeing like, you know, a, a Marcus prequel or something like that? Is that kind of where you're <laughs> leaning towards I, or I, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't fault Colin at all. I think he's an interesting character, but I think I was kind of more interested in what Marcus was doing. Just, I guess maybe because he was more nuanced and I guess it's more of that whole, you know, cultured and refined person versus the, you know, mm. uncivilized barbarian. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with that kind of character type that Colin is. I mean, he's basically like Kinshiro, except with no muscles and he has a sword instead, right? Because yeah. they're they're both very very kind of stoic and quiet and they're both very driven in whatever their goal is. So I can't fault Colin for having those similar traits because I think Kinshiro is a great character. But when I was watching this, and even the first time I watched this movie, I think I was just a little bit more interested in Marcus. But, I mean, that's that might just be my personality. I mean, you know me. Like, I'm more interested in Magneto and Vegeta than the heroes sometimes. Yeah, but that's, yeah. you know, that's just kind of my – that's like a, you know, that's a Justin Barber trope, I guess. No, but I mean, I mean, they, 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 he does. Marcus does have that similar charisma to characters like Magneto and Vegeta. I mean, there there is that dynamism to his his character because otherwise you wouldn't have that super hot, sexy evil <laughs> Sentai lady who gets yeah. killed and then basically follows him at his beck and call, you know, and and does whatever he wants and gets all worked up over him i mean there and and even like i mean yeah there is a kind of a negan aspect to how he treats some of the people in his city where it's like oh you know those scientists if they don't make the virus on time they're all going to get killed and all that other stuff but i mean there had to be some level of charisma for him to sort of shape his vision in this weird dystopian society by sheer force of will and i could see why that that would be just as interesting in in a larger sense as you know somebody like colin who's just devoted to his his goal you know whether it's vengeance or you know reuniting with his wife or or what have you you know well i guess that wraps up this episode of fan holes big in japan uh, Derek, if you would be so kind as to tell our listeners where they could find us on the internet. If you guys want to leave us some angry immortal emails, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are, of course, on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can find our backlog of content there. If you've enjoyed listening to Fanholes Big in Japan, we hope you enjoy checking out many of our other spin-off shows we've got toku thursdays transformers tuesdays sentai saturdays mobile suit mondays comics motherfucker do you read them and of course the fan holes podcast proper so if you've enjoyed listening to big in japan we hope you consider checking out all those other shows and then we are on all kinds of cool social media tumblr twitter facebook instagram we appreciate all the likes and feedback we've received and we are on itunes and you can stream us on stitcher radio and this is justin signing off that sensation you're feeling is the quickening <laughs> this is derek derek wc signing off good night guys
So, I mean, I guess for this, like, are you good? Like, I, I don't know what you had planned, but, you know, I, I sort of watched the movie. I ended up um, trying to check out the Japanese language version, although I had a tough time figuring out exactly what the differences between the two were because I didn't really hyperanalyze it or whatever. But that, that was sort yeah. of the extent of my preparations. Yeah, I've not even seen the... Japanese or director's cut. I I pulled up a page that apparently describes some of the differences, but I I I know it, it's like it's weird because they made it the way that the uh well I mean we can obviously talk about this on the show proper but the way the producers the American guys made it sound was like there were like tons of scenes and we really we trimmed this shit down and I was like oh well. I, I go, that makes sense, because I've seen tons of anime films where I was like, Jesus Christ, get on with it already. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. they must have really chopped this up or whatever, because it's like 90 minutes. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty crisp and whatever. And then, and then like, now reading it, it's like, well, the director the director's cut, it's like, it has an extra, like, 10 minutes, you know? And I'm just kind of like, 10 minutes? Like, that's not... You know, like that's not like major league cutting or anything, you know. So, I don't know. I'm ready if you are. All right, I'm set. <laughs> 